a lot of people, especially smaller companies and also people that don't have, in comparison to the size of the business, a lot of international related party dealings, they don't know enough about these rules and they're very, very useful as a tool. Sometimes the eligibility criteria can be a bit hard and hard to comply with, but you can use them a lot of times if you can find a solution how to argue within them. And they're really, really helpful and they will help you know that you are doing the right thing in within your means. You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to run and grow your firm. Welcome to episode 385 of Tax Talks. This is Heidi Robson and thank you to DocuSign for sponsoring this episode. As you heard in the last episode, the arm's length methodologies, the um, five different ones outlined in TR 97-20, are anything but straightforward. To make this easier, the ATO has issued simplified transfer price record-keeping guidelines in PCG 2017-2, so issued in 2017. Practical Compliance Guidelines PCG 2017-2 called Simplified Transfer Pricing Record Keeping Options. The aim of this PCG is, in the words of the ATO, to minimize record keeping and compliance costs. End of quote. Now, I have good news for you and bad news for you. Two good news and two bad news. The first bad news is whether you qualify for the simplified record keeping or not doesn't change that you still need to apply one of the five methodologies. So you still need to understand the five methods and then apply one of them. That's the bad news, the first lot of bad news. The first good news is that if you qualify for the simplified record keeping, you don't have to document the method. You can basically just say, yep, I did that. And you don't have to prove and document the method. The second bad news is that you still have to document how you qualify for the simplified rules. So you can't just say, yeah, I applied the simplified rules. You have to show for each transaction how it qualifies under the simplified rules. But that is easier than documenting the actual transfer price. And the second good news is that the criteria for simplified record keeping are easier to understand than the five methodologies. The criteria for simplified record keeping are easily quantifiable. They are about turnover, profit, the amount of related party transactions, that sort of thing. Now, let's cut across to Benedict de Auric of Anderson Australia about the simplified record keeping rules. The first question to Benedict is about the audit risk small to medium business face around transfer pricing. Talking of an audit, how likely is a small to medium company to be audited by the ATO with respect to transfer pricing? It depends. You know, that depends on the industry and it depends on the transactions too and what they do. My gut feeling is that a small business is a lot less likely to be audited than a large business because a small business, of course, there won't be so much meat between the ribs. If the ATO spends a week working out the transfer prices and the result is just $5,000 of penalties or so, then, of course, it's not really worse for them. That's right. I'll say something first. There is some simplified uh, transfer pricing record-keeping rules because what you are talking about is that if the administrative burden and cost for doing this, it's much bigger than the actually risk exposure of it being picked up. Why should I do it? So that's why they've also put the streamlined transfer pricing record-keeping rules in place, which if you're eligible for the different options there, it will lower the administrative burden and you will still be complying with the rules. 
I'll come back to that. But just stepping back, so for any international-related party dealings over two million in one year, so that's total of loan balances, everything. If you have that with your income tax return, you have to fill in an international dealing schedule, which is like a disclosure form of your international-related party dealings, who you deal with, and what sort of level of documentation you have for these. So the HEO they get all these international dealing schedules every year and they put them into a huge database and they will run some algorithms to screen for what they call risk areas. So it could be you're paying a really high interest rate on your intercompany loan, which means that you can deduct a lot of interest expense <laughs> or do you have a lot of research and development cost, but really low profitability. Or products, do you move a lot of products from company A to company B? Yes, and are you in losses? Are you just a simple distributor, but you have losses for the last five years because they will compare with your result of your income tax returns too. So they're just screening for sort of the normal risk factor where they're looking at, or have you sold a lot of, migrated a lot of your IP out of the company last year? So things like that. So even small companies in those algorithms can get picked up. So if your total intergroup transactions, you know, including loans, including R&D, including everything, if they are less than two million and hence you don't have to lodge an international dealing schedule, then your risk of an audit is probably relatively low because the ATO just, I mean, you just look too insignificant. The risk only starts increasing when you are lodging the international dealing schedules, correct? Because then the ATO starts having data that they can analyze and where they can then identify a risk and hence direct their audit activities accordingly, correct? Yes, but you still have obligation to do the right thing. Yes, yes, of This course. is just a disclosure form. So I'm just talking in general about probability of an audit. Yeah, yeah. Probably not likely, but still. Never say never. Yeah. Like everything else you do, it's just good to have good systems in place because you probably like to grow. But as a tax agent, if you have a small company, for example, and they have a tiny bit of dealings with another entity overseas, for example, if it's a subsidiary in Australia and the mother is overseas and there is not really much happening, then you probably don't need to torture your client extensively about transfer pricing. But if it's substantial enough that it requires an international dealing schedule, then you probably need to highlight this as an issue. I mean, you should always highlight this as an issue, but you need to press it more when the transactions are much bigger. Yeah. We always make sure that there's a balance there, as I said before, with the risk and actually the compliance burden. We're not going to <laughs> sell like a top of the range Merc to somebody who only needs a Skoda. So that's just obvious. And I think most people yeah. will be like that. Yeah. And also you you at Anderson Taxation probably deal with quite large companies, whereas a lot of tax agents deal with much smaller companies. We are just starting out here in Australia, in Anderson, Australia. So we have a whole spectrum of clients and we actually have a lot in the startup in the biopharmaceutical because Australia is a bit of hub because we have the infrastructure of testing products, etc. And we've got medical staff and that. So we're doing quite a lot of that sort of startup companies. They're obviously looking also for R&D incentive and things like that. But it's important for them to have the right compliance because a lot of these startups are likely to be taken over by a large pharmaceutical company. So to set them ready to for having due diligence and things like that, it's important for them to have the right transfer pricing structure set in place. And it doesn't have to cost them millions or anything like that, but it's just for companies like that, it's important that they're having everything, you know, squeaky clean from a, a tax and a transfer pricing position. That's a very good point. 
Good. I think it's just really hard, especially when you go back to the three methods. This TNMM, you know, public databases, that's just really hard. I, I wouldn't have any idea where to start. I guess you need to Google around and just try to... I, yeah, I don't even know where to start. It just sounds to be completely theoretical. And I, yeah, I find it the thought of having to put that into practice is quite daunting. Yes. And I think that's why, regardless of your size, it's good to seek advice. I would never put like a huge benchmarking exercise with involving public databases uh, for somebody where I can see it's not necessary. But you will also go back to what I said before on that there is that simplified transfer pricing record keeping. But even for that, you still need some form of comparison, correct? No, so you don't need to do the benchmarking if you're eligible for one of their options. They put in some criteria, for example, if you're eligible to the low value services, but you just have to make sure that you're eligible for that. So they give you a percentage markup for these services. So can we quickly go through these streamlined transfer pricing record keeping rules? Because it sounds like they are yep. easy, easy they, to they follow, are easy. follow rules. Uh, the only thing that, that might be sometimes hard is to actually be eligible to all the criteria. But sometimes we use them anyway if we can see there's no risk here. So we will explain why we're not 100% eligible, but it still makes sense to use it and see that you've done what you could given your circumstances and your size and your risk exposure to comply with the rules. Like you don't need to do a full-blown five-step process. You can sometimes, if it's that's what fits you best, do more like a memorandum and then you just make sure you're monitoring that during the year, make sure you're still inside that or if you need to you know, revisit for next year, maybe do an update of that. So the overall criteria for these, there's seven different options, is that you have no sustained losses. So if you have, you know, losses, that's always an issue. But losses can also be explained by the other factors out so that you don't have to be, you know, <laughs> completely uh, turned off that. Because there's a lot of times we can go in and just prove that the losses are not related to transfer pricing. Mm -hmm. It's just the, the nature of the business. But so that means, for example, when you have a client that is a subsidiary of, of an overseas enterprise and they keep running losses, then you can highlight as an issue that after the second or third year of operation, you really should move into a profit-making situation. Your transfer pricing is clearly not working because you are collecting sustained losses, unless there's a clear reason of why this is happening. Yeah, yeah. And we do flag that because it, it is a risk exposure if you have that. Okay, good. Second one. Yeah, so and no restructuring during that year. And you have been in compliance with the transfer pricing rules. So that's, yeah. <laughs> okay, but that meets us back to the um, dark web of confusion, having to comply with the transfer pricing rules in general. But what that means is that you're doing this, right? You're, you're putting this together and you're doing this. Okay, good. I, th I so think that one is a bit great for you, right? Because then you're back to square one. Yes, but it basically means you follow the five steps and it's just when it comes to actually determining the comparison, then you can apply these simplified rules. Yeah, yeah. And I also use them for just to support, even if I'm doing like a, a benchmarking exercise for a distributor and they have some services, but the services are really sort of low value in terms of that, just normal admin and, and management services. So I will run maybe a benchmarking for the distribution activities and then the services, I can use this if they're eligible for this role instead of doing another benchmark for the services. Okay. And so what's the um, simplified method for services, for example? There's a few different ones. There's a de minimis case. If it's less than 2 million 
you're paying for, they call them low value services and they'll be not in core to your business. So they will be like your administrative and management services uh, that you're receiving or providing. So if they're less than two million, you don't need to do anything. Okay. So you can just set whatever price you want. Yes. Or if they are more than two million, but less than 15% of the total expenses. Okay. And then, then also you don't have to do anything. No, no. And if they are more than 25% of the pre-intergroup service expenses, then you can have a markup of no more than 5% for services you receive. And if you're providing service, they have to be at least 5%. But you still have to prove these things that you're eligible for it. So that was services. And what about products when you sell products, when you transfer products from one? So they have one for distributors. So if you're a distributor and you are less than 50 million turnover, Again, you have to have all this, as I said before, the general rules, you know, losses, no restructure. Then if your operating margin is at least 3%, then you fall within this. So you need to have an operating margin of at least 3% when you're a distributor. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you can still, you still have to do transfer pricing documentation if there is any royalties over 500,000 or if you have any finance arrangements for those. Like, for example, if you have any intercompany loans, you still have to do transfer pricing uh, documentation for them, just not for your distribution activities. The loans are only an issue if the loan is to the company that pays the royalty. No. Either way. No, no, no. They're two separate things. So it's just if you're paying any royalties or license fees, if that's above 500000 you will still have to do transfer pricing documentation for those royalties and license fees. Okay. Or if you have a finance arrangement. Yeah, if you have finance arrangements, again, you also have to provide documentation for them. So as long as you have royalties under 500,000, you're okay. You just need an operating margin of 3%. Yeah. Or if you have no finance arrangement and also... You can be a distributor who's less than $50 million turnover. And then if your operating margin is more than 3%, you can use this simplified transfer pricing record. But if you have royalties over 500,000 and or finance arrangement, those two you still have to do transfer price documentation for. It just takes a little bit off you, like in terms of most yes. distributors really struggling to fall under this. So also materiality. So if your international lady party transactions are less than 2.5% of your total turnover and your total turnover is under 100 million, then you don't need to do transfer price documentation. So it's literally okay. that you have just over 2 million. This applies to both entities, correct? To the overseas entity as well as the Australian entity, or does it only apply There's to the Australian There's only the Australian entity or the Australian group of entities. I see. Okay, so everything we discussed is basically always just about the Australian entity. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's only for yeah. them. It's only because it's an Australian rule. Because that's the only one that Australia really cares about. That's the only one that the ATO worries about, what's happening in the Australian entity, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. The other one I've used quite a bit is low-level outbound and inbound loans because yeah. loans, there's a lot of scrutiny around finance arrangements because that's been another way of the HGOCs as an incentive to transfer price because you could put an extremely high interest rate on that's deductible, etc. But if you have your combined loan balance is less than 50 million, then you don't need to run a huge benchmarking analysis on this. Then the interest rate, so that changes because obviously the interest rate changes, as we know. <laughs> uh, so for 2022, the interest rate was 1.83. So obviously the HO wants, if you are providing a loan, they want to see at least 1.83 or more in 2022. 
or if you're receiving a loan, they don't want to see more than 1.83. So for 2023, that's increased to 5.65. Wow, that's a massive jump. Yeah. <laughs> if you have a mortgage, you felt it's jump. <laughs> and yes, the same thing. So if your loan is under 50 million and you're charging or receiving an interest rate that is pretty much spot on of this percentage, then you're okay. You don't need to worry about transfer pricing, correct? No. And then there's one more hiccup there, always a bit challenging for, especially inbounds, is that that loan has to be in Australian dollars and the interest has to be in Australian dollars too. Oh, okay. So if the loan is in US dollars, for example, then we are back into transfer pricing documentation. Yeah, yeah. I have sometimes used that anyway. Obviously, you're running the risk they can say you're not eligible. But if you use a conversion and showing essentially that you're still within the range and yeah, you should be fine. Okay. Yeah. Again, it's all about, it's a little bit of an art form. You have to have that, as I said all the time, I always balance what is the risk exposure here against does it make sense for the size of company to do the full-blown analysis or what can we get away with to make sure that the risk is minimized as much as possible. And are these all the areas? Have we covered everything now? Services, distributors, materiality, low-level outbound and inbound loans. So these yeah, four areas. Yeah, and there's also a technical services. So if you receive or provide not more than 50% of your total international-related party dealings of technical services, uh, you should not pay more than 10% markup on those. And if you're providing, you should receive at least 10% markup. So a lot of engineering companies and order of like IT companies and things like that, they can use that. Here's a quick word from our sponsor, DocuSign. Oh, it's coming. That time of year where stress levels go up by 15 to 20 percent. Yep, tax time. And when stress is up, mistakes happen. But I'm not here to talk about my screw-ups. Because this year, I've gone digital with DocuSign. Now there's no snail mail paperwork, invoices are getting done faster. So when it comes to tax time, I can just be an accountant and not some paper chaser. Sign up for your free trial at docusign.com.au. Next time, DocuSign. Can I come back to the distributors with you? If the Australian entity actually never gets ownership of the product, so they arrange the sale, but then the sale is actually directly from the overseas company to the um, local Australian customer, then would they still count as a distributor and hence the distributor rules apply or would they then be classified under something else like other services or distribution services or sales commission? They would not be able to conclude contracts because then they are dependent agent and a DP or the sale is a DMP deemed permanent establishment. Ah, so that's taxable. So that's the issue we've had in the you know, when we're talking about the Google tax. Yes, but it's an Australian company, so you don't need... If if I'm an Australian company... And I'm not getting ownership of the products, I'm just arranging the sales. So I have a sales team, but the actual sale is from the overseas entity directly to the Australian customer. Yeah. Then, that, do so I then fall you under are, dis- you're like a sales agent mm-hmm. and you'll get like some sort of markup for your... Yes, exactly. Yeah. And is there a rule about, is there a safe harbor There, there is about- a rule because what the ATO will say, well, there's already somebody here who's facilitating that this activity is happening. So the overseas company that's selling directly to the Australian customer, that activity and that income from that sale, DHO will say that's a permanent establishment. So that's taxable in Australia, that income. I see. So you're saying the overseas entities actually has a PE in Australia? Yes. So that will create a PE because you already have a sales presence here who's facilitated that that sale is going to happen. 
So you can't do that. I see. So the fact that they have a company here in Australia doesn't count? Yeah, it, it does count. That means that if that company has had the direct or indirect helping the customers to, you know, any support services in that sale or even help them, you know, market that sale that they should buy from this company. That means that there's a deemed PE. So the overseas entity has a deemed PE, even though they have an Australian company that does all this. Yeah, that's said This has probably happened in the past. But normally what happened is that the Australian sales agent, they paid a markup on their operating cost. Yes, exactly. For example, 20%. Yeah, so let's say it's 20%. So the operational costs are let's say 10 million, and they pay 20% on top of that. So that's their the markup. It's a really good markup. It's normally it'd be more like a 5%. So the ATO sees 5% of 10 million as their income. That's the Australian income. Instead, and what the overseas sells to Australian customers, they sell for 200 million to the Australian customer. So the ATO is saying, we want to see 5% on 200 million. That's the income. Like that's very simplistic. But you yes. know what I mean? So Yes. And if the sales commission is actually not based on cost, but the sales commission is a percentage of the actual sale. So, for example, the sales commission is 20% of turnover. Would that be acceptable then? Well, how will you monitor that turnover? You'll have to go through their books. They collect the money and pass it on, but they don't book it as sales. Let's say they facilitate a sale of one million Australian dollars. They receive the goods. And the goods, let's say, are 500,000, so the profit is 500,000, and their commission is 20%, then they book $200,000 as commission income. The rest is just receivables and payables, depending on who they are paying and who they are collecting the money from. But they're basically just booking their commission as sales, and everything else is just liabilities to the um, overseas entity or receivables to the local Australian customer. Yeah, but wouldn't ATO then say, like, would an arm's length party do that? And the ATO could detect this based on the PE. They would say, this is an arrangement that an arm's length party wouldn't do. An arm's length party would have a PE, a deemed PE in Australia, and then, yeah. No, they wouldn't do that, right? Good. So the ATO can attack this by deeming a PE of the overseas entity and then taxing the actual profit that is generated through these transactions. Yes, yeah. So that's the mail. So so what it's seen is that the overseas party, they're really just trying to have all this sales revenue and only paying a markup um, some cost for actually being on ground and facilitating this. Yeah. But a lot is done from overseas. You know, if all the internet marketing is done from overseas and social media marketing is done from overseas, the product is designed overseas, the product is manufactured overseas, I'm not sure that Australia has a point in arguing that the entire profit should be text in Australia. It's not the entire profit, but then what you have to set up is if you're providing that to the Australian entity, then you will have to, you know, either include it in the price, in the transfer price for the cost of goods sold price, or you will have to charge some services for and what we are giving all these um, marketing support services. But you also have to prove that they actually, the Australian entity benefit from these. So far, we have five simplified rules for services, distributors, materiality, low-level outbound and inbound loans, and we have technical services. Is there any other area that benefits from simplified rules? No, that's it. Yeah. Okay. There's no other. There's no miscellaneous category or something like that. No, no. Oh, okay. Good. Okay, perfect. And those simplified rules, I think, are outlined on the ATO website, correct? Yes, they are. If you look the simplified transfer pricing record keeping, and it's actually called 
I'm just looking it up, PCG. Exactly, 2017-2. Slash 2, yeah. Yeah. So it's a practical compliance guide to that. Okay, good. So if you want to really drill into this, you would go to PCG 2017-2, correct? Yes, yeah, yeah. Again, I would always get a professional to just check it for you. But it's just good to know because even professionals sometimes forget about these rules and they're just good to have in back of mind that you don't have to be too overburdened with the transfer pricing compliance that you, that you face. <laughs> A lot of people, especially smaller companies and also people that don't have, in comparison to the size of the business, a lot of international related party dealings, they don't know enough about these rules and they're very, very useful as a tool. Sometimes the eligibility criteria can be a bit hard and hard to comply with. But you can use them a lot of times if you can find a solution how to argue within them. And they're really, really helpful and they will help you know that you are doing the right thing within your means. Welcome back. So to opt into the Simplified Transfer Pricing Record Keeping, you notify the ATO via your international dealing schedule or the relevant country-by-country -country file. But given that the country-by-country -country filing only kicks in at 1 billion Australian dollars of global turnover, most of us will only deal with the international dealing schedule. So you opt into the Simplified Rules on the international dealing schedule, the IDS. There are seven eligibility criteria for simplified transfer pricing record keeping. None of these seven criteria give you a blank check for all transactions. Each criteria is just for specific transactions. The first three criteria, for example, the rules for small business distributors and low materiality. If you qualify for the simplified rules under one of these three criteria, then you only got an exemption for business as usual transactions. So, for example, for the sale of inventory or services, but you don't get an exemption exemption for related party royalties, license fees, R&D, loans or capital dealings. On the other hand, the fourth and the seventh criteria, the low value services and technical services, is just for services, low value or technical. And criteria five and six are just for loans. So you only qualify for the simplified rules per transaction not per entity. So you can say that an entity categorically does not qualify for the simplified rules, for example, when they have substantial losses or have restructured. But you can't say that an entity categorically does qualify because the exemption is assessed per transaction, not per entity. So with that, let's go through the seven criteria for the simplified rules. I know Benedicta has already done that, but let's just quickly do it again just to make it simple clear. If a transaction qualifies under one of these seven criteria, then you don't have to document the transfer price for that transaction. You just have to document that the transaction qualifies under that specific criteria. To qualify for the simplified transfer pricing record keeping, criteria number one, small business. For small business, the annual turnover must be less than 50 million and related party dealings must be less than $500,000. And let me just quickly add to that. Yes, the threshold for related party dealings is $500,000, Australian dollars, but it doesn't involve all related party dealings. It only applies to very specific related party dealings. And those are, let me just very quickly check, those are royalties, license fees, 
and research and development, those three go into this $500,000 threshold. So if you have other related party dealings, that doesn't matter. That's not calculated with respect to this threshold. So when I say related party dealings in this sentence, related party dealings must be less than $500,000. Read this as related party dealings for royalties, license fees and R&D. So let me just quickly play you the criteria again for option one, small business, and you know to read more into the word related party dealings. And then we keep going because there's actually one more criteria to be aware of. And then we will go to option two. For small business, the annual turnover must be less than 50 million and related party dealings must be less than $500,000. Service related party dealings must be less than 15% of turnover. So make sure that the Australian entity or PE pays less than 15% of turnover in marketing or admin fees, etc. So for small business in general, you have to watch the ratio between service related party dealings to turnover. To qualify for the simplified transfer pricing record keeping, criteria number two, distributors. For distributors, it first sounds the same. Same annual turnover and related party threshold as you had for small business. Annual turnover must be less than 50 million and related party dealings must be less than 500,000. So that's the same as for small business. And what's also the same is that the related party dealings only count if they are involving royalties, license fees or R&D arrangements, only then do they count towards this threshold of $500,000. And also something else that I forgot to mention under option one, and that is the related party dealings can be an expense or can be income. They both count towards this threshold. And then you might ask, well, if you have a an expense in one way and an income in another way? Do they offset each other? I actually haven't checked that. I assume they don't. You just take the uh, total amount and see whether it's less than 500,000. You know, you take the total amount at absolute values, disregard whether it's an expense or an income. You just throw it all in one pot at absolute values and then you see whether it's more or less than 500,000. So back to option number two for distributors. And I just play you the whole snippet again and you just know to read more into the word related party dealings. And then there's also a third criteria, which we then continue on to and then we go on to option three. Annual turnover must be less than 50 million and related party dealings must be less than 500,000. So that's the same as for small business. But the third condition is different. For distributors, the profit before tax to turnover ratio must be 3% or more. So if you look after the distributing subsidiary of an overseas group, make sure that the profit before tax is at least 3% of turnover. To qualify for the simplified transfer pricing record keeping, criteria number three, materiality. To qualify under this criteria, annual turnover must be less than 100 million. So before it was 50 million, now it's 100 million. And related party dealings, again, must be less than 500,000. So that's the same as for the first two criteria. And as before, this threshold of 500,000 Australian dollars only applies to related party dealings with respect to royalties, license fees and R&D. International related party dealings. The total of those must be 2.5% or less of total Australian turnover. 
And as mentioned before, these three criteria we just discussed don't apply to related party royalties, license fees, R&D, loans and capital dealings. They only apply to business as usual transactions like the sale of inventory or services. And sorry, we have this here as option three or criteria three because those three have a lot in common. Hence, we put them together and or hence that's why Benedicte put them together. But in the PCG, this one is actually number five. But hopefully that doesn't confuse you. Now we come to criteria four. To qualify for the simplified transfer pricing record keeping, criteria number four, low value intragroup services. So this is just about services and it's about related party services. When one related party offers services or provides services to the other related party and you have a transfer pricing issue when one of these parties is in Australia or has a PE in Australia. So think of services like admin, marketing and the lot. Services you receive must be 15% or less of total expenses. Services you provide must be 15% or less of total revenue. And the markup must be 5% or less for services you receive and 5% or more for services you provide. If you meet these conditions, then those service transactions fall under the simplified record keeping rules. To qualify for the simplified transfer pricing record keeping, criteria number five, low level inbound loans. So now we come to loans. In this number five, you have inbound loans, and then under number six, you will have outbound loans. So let's first look at the inbound loans. So that is when an overseas entity loans money to Australia. The loan balance must be 50 million or less. The loan must be denominated in Australian dollars. Benedicta mentioned that, but she said sometimes you can still refer to the uh, simplified rules even if the loan is not denominated in Australian dollars. But in theory, to be 100% sure, you need to have it in Australian dollars. And the interest rate must be a certain benchmark interest rate. For 2021, it was 1.79%. For 2022, it was 1.83%. And now for 2023, it's 5.65% or less. So either those interest rates or less when you have an inbound loan. To qualify for the simplified transfer pricing record keeping, criteria number six, low level outbound loans. Now let's look at the outbound loans. So the start is the same. The loan balance must be 50 million or less. The loan must be denominated in Australian dollars and the interest rates are also the same. So for 2023, it's 5.65%. But you need to have this interest rate or more when it's an outbound loan. And then number seven. To qualify for the simplified transfer pricing record keeping, criteria number seven, technical services. For technical services, the income must be 50% or less of total international related party dealings in Australia. So technical services income must be 50% or less of total international related party dealings in Australia. The markup must be 10% or more for services you provide and must be 10% or less for services you receive. So these are the seven criteria. If your transaction meets one of these seven criteria, then you can use the simplified rules for the relevant transaction. That usually means that the ATO might test whether you qualify for the simplified rule. But if you do, they won't audit your transfer price. So these were the simplified transfer pricing record keeping rules. We will come back to transfer pricing in the near future with four or five practical examples that will give you more of a fear for what issues to look out for and how to resolve them.
Before we part, let me just very quickly play you a short snippet of what I asked Benedicte after the interview about Anderson, Australia. Can I actually ask you something completely different? And that is Anderson Taxation. Do you have anything to do with Arthur Anderson or Anderson Consulting? We're not called Anderson Taxation. So the Anderson Global, that's what we're part of. And we're Anderson Australia. So you remember Arthur Anderson? So in 2002, yes, they got told because of the Enron scandal that that was kaput. And <laughs> so the Anderson, the Anderson uh, Consulting went to Accenture or they established Accenture and Anderson Tax in different jurisdictions. They went to EY or Deloitte or in the Australia, they all went to EY. So a lot of them I actually worked with <laughs> uh, because I was at EY at that time. So since then, uh, probably eight to 10 years ago, old Anderson tax partners and legal partners started Anderson Global. So they still had the name. And they're now up and flying. We're in like 176 countries, mostly tax consulting and legal, but we're also getting more and more into valuation, global mobility, private client. And then we are looking at a new consulting arm too. If you see our logo, we still have the old Anderson wooden doors, if you remember, <laughs> the Arthur Anderson doors. I don't know if you remember that. No, no I don't the, remember that. No, no, it's the same name and same logo. When I was at EY, in 2002, all the Anderson tax partner from Anderson Australia at that time went to EY. And then that happened in the US as well. And now a lot of the Anderson transfer pricing people, they went to EY transfer pricing. I worked with at the same time. And now they've gone back to Anderson Global. TP. So when I joined here, I'm like, oh, hi. <laughs> I've got you know my own network back. Yeah. Welcome back. You probably still remember the Anderson Enron scandal. And I actually thought it had happened during the uh, great financial crisis, the GFC. But when I went back and checked Wikipedia, it actually already happened in 2001. So well before the GFC. So there you are. I got that wrong originally. Now, I should be telling you what's coming next week. And I have to apologize again. The pipeline is in disarray again. And I don't know 100% what's coming Next week, I have a rough idea, but I don't want to tell you something and then it's actually something different. Actually, now I do know what will come next week and it will be electronic signatures. We spoke about electronic signatures a long time ago on the 4th of July 2018. So that is almost five years ago. A lot has changed since then, post-COVID. So let's look at this again and speak with two experts of DocuSign about electronic signatures. We will cover seven questions about the system of agreement that wraps around the actual signature. And we will cover questions like, is an electronic signature safer than a wet signature? And how is the need for a witness declining? And what elements are in this system of agreement? These are just some of the questions we will cover next week. We will meet next Monday. I will be here. Please come. And until then, thank you for listening. Thank you to DocuSign for their support. Bye for now and see you next week. Bye.